0: There we
1: all.
0: This is going to get pretty interesting. Divine interest. Oh God! Oh God! We're all going to die. Only try to realize the truth. There is no spoon. Delicious strawberry flavor. You are listening to the Sci-Fi Diner podcast, and now from the end of the universe. Bringing you the latest in science fiction, movies, and television shows. Here are your hosts.
2: Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. This is episode 102. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Herzog.
3: And hello, I am Miles P. McLaughlin.
2: And we have an awesome show in store for you and I and everyone tonight.
3: Found some good stuff to talk about.
2: Oh, uh, some great stuff to talk about. And it's rock and rolling. Summer is moving along. We have some sci-fi that's going to be premiering soon. We have some sci-fi that's just premiered. Mm-hmm. We're not going to talk a lot, a lot about that tonight. But we do have some news, late breaking news that just came out today mm-hmm. that we're going to be sharing with you. This episode will probably air in the middle of next week. Uh, we're going to take a week break. There might be a dessert menu coming out mm-hmm. uh, just because of my schedule more than anything. I don't I think your schedule will probably be open miles but mine's a little bit hectic over the next couple of weeks. But Shore leaves coming up again. If you are going to short leave, make sure you let us
3: know. Yeah, please do. Um th- 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 surely it's going to be really good this year. It's going to be
2: rocking, a lot of good guests and we hope to bring you some interviews from those mm-hmm. guests. Uh, well, Miles. How you doing? I'm doing fine, thanks. Yeah, uh, but this is this is a, a great time to be a sci-fi fan as we've often said and there's some good interesting news about it. Let's talk about what's in the show tonight. Let's run down through the menu that okay. we, you know, what we have in tap tonight. First off, we I have a new trivia question that we're going to be sharing with you Mm -hmm. for a nice prize associated with Walking Dead. That's all I'm going to say. Um, We also are bringing you the interview with Mike Schilling. Now, we were supposed to bring you this interview last week, but Saturn Awards commandeered it, and voila. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Mike Schilling got pushed back a week. That's all right. There's plenty of time before shore leave, and he's going to give you an inside look of what goes into the con, especially with his roles in the con and what it entails to actually run a con. Convention and it's going to be good. Uh, also on news this week, we're going to ha- we have some premiere dates. We have the premiere date for Fringe and Terra Nova. Cool. Miles, you don't even know this. I just added to note two seconds ago. Okay, the Green Lantern TV show that's going to be coming out, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Fringe. We won't talk about fringe. We talked about this in the sci-fi listener show, so we're going to bypass that article. Um, Eliza's uh, Dishku's uh, Torchwood spin-off now includes interactive gameplay. We're going to talk about that. That should be fun, especially if you enjoy online games. Transformers: Dark Side of the Moon is opening early in IMAX. Miles is kind of excited about this. I think I got
3: confessed. Yeah,
2: yeah, a little bit, and um, also. Shia LaBeouf is claiming that Transformers 3D Transformers 3 is going to be the greatest 3D film ever. Take that, Hearn! Um, but uh,
3: that's um, that's a very bold claim. That is
2: a very bold claim, and so, uh, uh, especially when we get uh, listener feedback saying, "Oh, we saw Green Lantern in 2D, 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 whatever." Marvel Comics, of course, kills Peter Parker, but Spider-Man is not gone. Of course not. Interesting. Holland Ellison is being inducted into the Hall of Fame. If you don't know who that is, we're going to share a little bit about him. That's a pretty big accomplishment for him. DVD news. There's no DVD news. But we are going to bring you this week in Star Trek with some news about Walter Ko- 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 Koenig. Is that the way you say his last name? Koenig, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. good. I thought I had it right. I just kind of lost some key cred there. We, of course, announced earlier, we put on our Facebook fan page that Shatner will not be in Star Trek 12. We'll talk a little bit about the news story that broke regarding that. And there's also a Star Trek movie universe comic series coming in September, and that's going to be cool. All this coming in this week and Star Trek. We end with our Sci-Fi 5 in 5, and this comes from Colin, who gives the five actual inventions that came because of Star Trek. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So I think this is still in response to our feud a little bit, Mm -hmm. even though I know we're no longer feuding over Star Trek. Still Uh. some interesting inventions.
3: Um, yes, yeah, so our, our, our friends from the sci-fi uh, Christian have had to, um, you know, acknowledge the, the contributions Star Trek has has made to sci-fi. And to right, right,
2: her. and you know, and, and they kind of said, you know, what we really can't feud about this. Mm-hmm. So even though we might have made the bold claim that Star Trek sucks, that we really can't substantiate this in all good faith. Sure. So, and that is an opinion, and we really can't debate this. Yeah. So, but they, 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 they lose, yeah. But oh, bold claims for miles. But the fringe finale debate—that's still on. Oh yeah, still on. We'll throw down about that. <laughs> We're all of it. Oh, just, yeah. just remember, Simon Christian, I have a six-foot-two, bald-headed man that you would not want to meet in the back alley. That's all I'm saying. All I'm saying. Who,
3: who are you talking about here? Uh, that would be you. Oh. Yeah.
2: <laughs> you. Let's move into some trivia tonight. You have the, our new trivia question, and before we give them the trivia question, we gotta tell them this prize, cause this prize... Rocks!
3: Oh yes, uh, Scott and I had the, the opportunity to meet. Uh, the, pleasure. the pleasure, the pleasure, pleasure of uh, the lovely Laurie Holden uh, at last uh, this past year's uh, Farpoint. And who is Laurie Holden? Laurie Holden is one of the stars on the uh, the hot new zombie uh, show, uh, A Walking Dead.
2: Yes, which uh, by the way, it's doing better than Fallen Skies, although there's some comparisons there. Mm-hmm. Uh,
3: but yes, and so we have a signed uh, a, a print of her in 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 from uh, Walking Dead
2: from Walking Dead and we do have another print we'll be giving away along with it because she was actually uh, Marita Carvanes in The X-Files cool. one of our very first roles right out of college mm-hmm. and you'll hear us talk a little bit about that in an interview when we bring that interview on the week of the Warehouse 13 premiere
3: can't wait for Warehouse 13 too oh I know that's going to be an awesome show too
2: but uh, what trivia question do they need to answer this is actually a Falling Skies trivia
3: well I hope you watched Falling Skies last week listeners um but this Even is the if you did, you get IMDb. Come on, but you may have to do a little. You know, you're going to have to earn this one. So, uh, so what does the new show Falling Skies have in common with uh, SG One and Stargate Atlantis?
2: Mm, that, that's, that, that, that is that's pretty
3: good. So, uh, I think if you if, if if you if you're familiar with both genres, you might be you might be able to pick it up.
2: And the code word is Walking Dead. Walking Dead. Walking Dead's a code word this week, so make sure you put that in along with the answer. And you have about two three weeks to answer this question. This will give you enough time to buy for this nice sign print from mm-hmm. Laurie Holt. It's well worth it. Well worth it. This lady does not give many podcast interviews.
3: No, we were we felt very privileged uh, to, to to talk to her. And uh,
2: no, she was really cool towards us. Yep. So I probably should put in here. Code word Walking Dead, or I'm going to forget that I just gave that as the code word can't have that no walking i have walking dad <laughs>
3: walking dad walking dad
2: which works all right well let's uh, move into our first promo for this week and i thought we'd do is do a promo for the lifestyle jazz podcast now it doesn't matter who you are you need time to kind of chill and relax step back from life even from sci-fi sometimes i mean you can't you know no man can live by sci-fi alone no so so you know some jazz some good relaxing music chilling in the porch with your margarita or whatever else you're drinking Um, for a good stogie in there as well and you have the Lifestyle Jazz a great podcast to listen to if you want some good jazz recommendations from a good friend James Williams and the Lifestyle Pod Network
3: Hi there, I'm James Williams, inviting you to listen to Lifestyle Jazz. Lifestyle Jazz is a new contemporary, modern and smooth jazz show on the Lifestyle Pod Network. It's hosted by me, James Williams, and each show you can enjoy a half hour of some of the best jazz around. So let me invite you now to visit us on our website where you can subscribe to the podcast, look at who we're playing and listen to a few shows. I look forward to seeing you soon at lifestylejazz.com.
2: Welcome back. We are about to head into our sci-fi news segment where we bring you news and television movies, uh, comics, I believe, and some miscellaneous book news as Mm -hmm. well. And then we have the the, uh, This Week in Trek, and that takes us into our news segment before we hit our interview with Mike Schilling. So why don't we start off with um, uh, premiere dates. Let me do the premiere dates, and you can take the next story here. Sure. This just came in, compliments of Kevin Batchelder, and... um, Fox announced, Fox News announced their release dates. All right. And the two big things on Fox right now regarding sci fi are Terra Nova mm-hmm. and Fringe, of course. Mm-hmm. Well, here it is. Fringe has a return date of 923. Okay. Do we know if 923 is significant anyway on Fringe?
3: I, I have no idea.
2: Sometimes the dates are significant. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And, and Terra Nova, a 926.
3: Wow, that's that's earlier than I than expected.
2: Well, I thought Terra Nova was pushed back till the beginning of next year, but it's kind of nice to see that it's slated for. Really. We knew it was pushed back from May. We now know the date. Too early to set your DVR yet, but. Keep those dates. Put them on your Google Cal, your iCal, whatever you're using, the calendar, just so you remember to enter them.
3: And we'll probably remind you later on. I'm
2: sure he will. Mm-hmm. I mean, because after all, you can't ignore shows like this.
3: We want to see these shows. Uh, you know,
2: they have two of the hottest directors behind these shows. I mean, Abrams behind Fritz, Spielberg behind uh, That Terra that
3: That's, that's some he heavy
2: says. heavy power. And you have one of the worst networks, Fox.
3: Yes. Uh,
2: I don't know. I have a love-hate relation with Fox.
3: But. Uh, me too. <laughs> me too. But
2: anyway. Take us into some Green Lantern news. We have some Green Lantern TV news.
3: Well, if if uh, the news we gave up Green Lantern was not enough, um, then hopefully this will this will help.
2: Now, Green Lantern's gotten what a mixed bag at the box office. It
3: does. There's either it, it, it's it, it's it's a very polarizing. People either love it or people kind of, uh, you know.
2: Same come. with our listener feedback we got from it. Same thing. Well, mm-hmm. tell us what's this news story about Miles?
3: Well, I, I, I like the uh, animated. Uh, uh, shows that the folks from uh, the put up the Batman and Superman animated series, uh, Justice League, and, and the latest one, uh, Young Justice. Well, now there's gonna be a Grant Greenlander TV show, and they say it'll be better than the movie. <clears throat> the Greenlander movie has opened to negative reviews and a mediocre box office take, but fans of the comic book can take heart. The big screen adaptation is the last we'll see of Hal Jordan. Greenlander, the animated series, should be appearing on the Cartoon Network. Uh, September the 5th, uh, 2011, 8 p.m. And um, I saw the trailer. It looks pretty good. Uh, when you look at the 30-second clip, your first thought is probably, hey, this looks just, like, just for kids. True, it is aimed for children, but if it, has, if it has any of the epic struggles that include uh, descending into insanity, destruction of the planets, betrayal from your mentors. In other words, the elements that make Green Lantern great. Then I should find a loyal following of all ages. We do have one particular nit to, to pick. Hal Jordan is the series' main character. We love you, Hal. Maybe other Green Lanterns, like uh, Kyle Rayner, should get a shot at fame. Uh,
2: maybe, but, I mean, come on. Hal Jordan is the Green Lantern. But I don't think the Green Lantern
3: is Hal Jordan. Right. And, and I guess in in last 10, 15 years, they've had other uh, other other uh, Green Lanterns that, that they they focused on but um, no I'm fine with them using Hal Jordan as their uh, and
2: I'm fine with it being geared toward that I mean I'm, I'm watching the Iron Man series I guess it was in the mid 90s or mm-hmm. the 2000s they had that and my, they're good, even though they're yeah. geared toward kids. And they're
3: geared toward kids, but they are <clears throat> I, I, I think they're still intelligent enough for adults to enjoy.
2: When, when do you fall in love with superhero genre? You do it when you're a kid. Right. And and it, and it's this nostalgia that kind of keeps us going. It keeps us going back to these adult movies now that are out in theaters. Mm-hmm. Um, I have an interesting story about that. My son, of course, has been watching the animated Iron Man. He hasn't watched any of the newest movies because of his age. He's, what, four? Right. Um, but we got this fly mask for our horse Yeah, uh, that fits over the eyes to protect the eyes from flies. He goes, hey, look, it's Iron Man because <laughs> it's a mask. The mask kind of looks like Iron oh, yeah. Man's mask. <laughs> That's cool. So it's kind of that nice association. Anyway, anything more to say about the Green Lantern TV series?
3: Uh, no. I, I'm pretty sure it's done by the same folks that put on the uh, animated – the, the, the DC shows that I've talked about in the past. So I, I anticipate it... Uh, it for, should be good. For Bruce Timm's uh, people, it should be good, yeah.
2: Very good. Eliza Deschu's Torchwood spinoff now includes interactive gameplay. We liked it because we, of course, want to uh, play Eliza's character, our... It's interactive. Mm -hmm. So you want to interact with Eliza's character. We've known for a while that Torchwood, I'll stop before I get myself in trouble there. (laughs) We've known for a while that Torchwood Miracle Day would be supplemented with an animated motion comic series for the web, featuring the voices of Eliza Jiskud, John Barrowman, and and Eve Miles, or Evie Miles. It turns out that Torchwood Web Alive is more than that. It's also a game available on iTunes. And TV writes the game will consist of ten three-minute chapters. In bundles of three for 99 cents. Players can also purchase a whole series for 299. The press release from MTV reads, "Torchwood: Web of Lies is an episodic, interactive experience for the iOS that fuses together motion comic and gameplay elements to tell an original and digitally exclusive Torchwood story. The players will participate in parallel storylines to Torchwood Miracle Day that include lead characters Captain Jack Harkness and Gwen Cooper voiced by John Barrowman and Evie Miles. Torchwood Allies runs alongside the weekly premieres of Torchwood Miracle Day providing fans with a way to engage the world of Torchwood between episodes. It reveals the past day in the lives of Captain Jack Harkness and Gwen Cooper, the day they've both forgotten. The events of the day fuel the modern-day conspiracy-laced treasure hunt as Holly Markey, voiced by Eliza Giscu, Dollhouse, True Calling, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, labors to undercover the secrets of Miracle Day. Each week, a new episode unlocks, the, allowing players to access another piece of the original motion comic narr- narrative and a game which ties into the extended plot developments of the show, as well as providing new twists on its own narrative. Do you understand it? Because we're not sure we do. We have so many questions and not enough answers. Question like... How will the app relate to the web series? What kind of gameplay does this involve? How do you win? Will WebElyze also become available for the Android OS? And isn't it just some excuse to call three bucks off of each viewer, is it? But then there's another question maybe most important of all. Do we get to play Eliza Jusku? Hmm.
3: I forgot to tell you this. Um, last Saturday, uh, Eliza Jusku was doing a live chat, and I got on. Unfortunately, there was hundreds of other people on there, and I did not get a chance to interact with her. I was really trying. But you were to, trying
2: to interact with her.
3: I was trying to interact well, with her. Well, maybe yeah.
2: again, you can now interact with her via this on your iTouch.
3: I was trying to get see if she would do an interview with us sometime.
2: That would be great to get her on, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, I don't know if we can get it in once the uh, Web of Lives premieres or not. I want to know when this is coming out because there's no date in that. Well, it's supposed to come along, uh, along the when Miracle Day comes out. I forget when Miracle Day is coming out. Mm. I probably should know this at my fingertips, and I don't. But interested in it, and certainly it might. Will I pay 3 bucks for it?
3: I might. You mind? I might? Hmm.
2: I might. We'll see. We'll see. I have a gift certificate I could blow it on.
3: Well, you have a gift certificate. That's true. Yeah.
2: 3 bucks out of my own money, maybe not so much.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, why don't you go ahead and give us this news about Transformers Dark of the Moon, opening early
3: in IMAX, Miles. So Transformers Dark of the Moon is going to open early in IMAX, Uh, Paramount Pictures announced that its upcoming Transformers Dark of the Moon will begin showing in IMAX 3D at 9 p.m. on June 28th nationwide. This will allow fans to see the film before the national rollout beginning at 12 a.m. on June 29th. Michael Bay has has, uh, created an incredibly engaging and immersive 3D experience with this latest movie, one that will undoubtedly be among the most entertaining movie-going experiences of the summer, said Paramount's vice chairman, Rob Moore, in, in a press release providing fans an opportunity to see it. Early 3-D is a great way to kick off the movie's opening. Here's what we know about the plot. When a mysterious event from uh, Earth's uh, past erupts into the present, it threatens to bring a war to Earth. So big that even the Transformers alone will be able to stop it. The film, directed by Michael Bay, stars Shia LaBeouf, uh, Josh uh, Dumahal, uh, John Turrell, Tyrese Gibson, Rosie Huntington, uh, Whitley, Patrick Dempsey, Kevin Dunn, Julie White with uh, John Malkovich and and Francis uh, McDormand, uh, so uh, will you you our listeners go be see it early on IMAX.
2: So Miles, I want to see IMAX. I want to see this in IMAX and 3D. Yeah, me too. I Definitely want to do this. So when are we going? Good, good question. What about what's your schedule like next week? No, <laughs> we can talk about this all, all off air, but mm-hmm. but definitely a movie I want to check out.
3: Oh, me too. And uh, it's it's, uh, it's interesting. At, at first, we knew Transformers Three was coming out, but. We're a little ambivalent about it, but then when we saw some of the trailers, it's like, well, looks like they might have redeemed themselves. Yeah, well,
2: you know what? Let me say this. I want to see it in the IMAX. Mm -hmm. And if the only way – I think the only way I'm going to be able to see it in the IMAX is in 3D. Mm -hmm. And that's unfortunate because I do kind of want to see it in 2D. I've seen all the others in 2D, but I I don't know. Thor in 3D didn't bother me like it bothered some people. Mm -hmm. So maybe – I don't know. And this next story, I mean – I mean, after all, Shia LaBeouf is saying it's the greatest 3D film ever.
3: Well, that's a ringing endorsement. Well, from I know. The Come
2: one. on. It's Shia LaBeouf. If Shia LaBeouf says it, it must be gospel, right? <laughs> of course. Here's what Shia LaBeouf says about it. He says it's the greatest 3D film ever. He says Michael Bay has yet to take his explosive action films into the third dimension until next week. That is, not only will it be the first Transformers franchise to go 3D, but according to its star, will also be the greatest 3D film ever. So, hey, I'm there, Shia. You have convinced me. <laughs> I love you, man. You are the greatest actor since sliced bread. Uh,
3: <clears throat> sorry. Oh, with sarcasm. With
2: sarcasm. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you Shia says, we took 3D cameras out of the Avatar stages and put them into the head of a dude jumping out of a plane in Chicago while the building's exploding. For real. Four or five dudes, actually. It's the greatest 3D film ever made. Now, some of you out there might be thinking, hey, 3D is swell and all, but what about the story? Yes, it's true. Transformers has picked up something of a reputation for getting convoluted, especially during its enormous robot-infused action sequence. In Dark of the Moon, the fights will be bigger than ever, but according to Labouf, we don't get diffused. You won't breathe for the last hour. There's just no let-up, but it's also not completely overwhelming and disconnected as the second movie was. You don't know what the fighting was uh, was what or where you were geography-wise. There's no way you'll be able to tell a story, whereas this is very Black Hawk Down action. The geography is very clever, and that's only four or five dudes that you need to be following. The enemy is very clear. The second movie was so complicated, the best movies are simple. So there you are. So are you more likely to shell out the extra coins Transformers 3D now? Or will you, our listeners, be thinking of the guy singing Bay's praises, might be a little bit biased?
3: Hmm. Uh, definitely biased. Definitely biased, but that, that does not mean it, – it may not be true. I mean uh – you
2: know, I think if, if if Shia LaBeouf says it, then then by all means.
3: But I, I needed to know for myself, though. Yeah,
2: yeah, you do need to, you know, make make your own decision about this, mm-hmm. right? So, anyways, that is uh, what he says, and I don't know about it being the greatest three D three D. I'm kind of building it on sometimes.
3: Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I think the whole three D thing is getting a little overblown. I mean, I think the the, the you movie think just a little bit, not not much, just a little bit. Yeah. I, just, I mean, Avatar worked very well in three D.
2: I think that, in my opinion, Avatar was the best 3D film I've ever seen. So
3: far, yeah. It's been subtle. Mm-hmm.
2: So the fact that they're trying – he references Avatar, that they're going to top Avatar, that that, that that is a big, bold statement. Yeah. And he better have the cojones to stand behind it.
3: Well, I guess we'll find out after it opens. Yeah.
2: But, uh, well, let's talk about the death of Peter Parker.
3: Let's talk about the death of Peter Parker. So Marvel Comics uh, kills Peter Parker, but Spider-Man will live on. Um Oh, my God, they killed Spidey. It's true. More than 10 years ago, writer Brian uh, Michael Bent brought Ultimate Spider-Man into the world, and today he's taking him out, according to Bendis. This isn't temporary either. Is there a future for Spider-Man without Peter Parker? Before we talk about all, th- all about the future, though, let's talk about here and now. With today's release of the Ultimate Spider-Man uh, 160, we see the end of the uh, unironically titled Death of Spider-Man series. Here's what we need to know. The Green Goblin having escaped from S.H.I.E.L.D. makes an attempt from Aunt- on Aunt Mary and Mary Jane's life, only to uh, have uh, Peter make the ultimate sacrifice since Bendis. We had talked about what Spider-Man meant and what it could could mean and what kind of new stories he could tell. If he died to save Aunt May like he he couldn't save Uncle Ben, then you really have something. What Bendis uh, has done is something that you don't often uh, see a writer accomplish in comics. Tell a character's life, story from start to finish. Bendis wasn't unemotional when the end uh, came, or either... Listen, I, I sat there typing this thing with tears in my eyes like a big baby. I went upstairs to my wife, and I go, I'm so embarrassed. I think I've literally been crying for 45 minutes. Now this, um, I, I've had real things happen in my life I didn't cry about, and I'm crying about this. This may be the end for Peter Parker, but it's not the end for Spider-Man, according to editor Axel Alonso. There's going to be a brand-new Spider-Man in a brand-new costume. The big question is, would you read a Spider-Man story without Peter Parker?
2: I don't know. Peter mm-hmm. Parker has just been the staple.
3: Right, exactly, and uh, um, yeah, I, don't know. I, I, I yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think, I wonder if this is just. I mean, this could be a creative choice where they're going, or it's like you know, like,
2: S- Superman died.
3: Superman did die, but they brought him back. And, so, you know, maybe we we'll have
2: a clone of Peter Parker, <laughs> a
3: or, or maybe you know he'll he'll come back. It's it's. Maybe it's to genera- regenerate interest into the into the genre, maybe generate some more comic book sales.
2: Maybe uh, Disney will take it and make Spider-Man babies.
3: See, Spy- Universal has that, that Spider-Man, right? What are they going to do?
2: Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Kill it. <laughs> People go on there and
3: uh, they die like Spider-Man. Yeah. That would be
0: terrible. Uh,
2: anyway, so let us know what you think about them killing off Spider-Man. Does a Spider-Man without Peter Parker interest you? Or did you just really hate Peter Parker to begin with? Mm. So maybe uh, let us know. We want to hear from you. Mm-hmm. 1-888-508-4343. Call our listener feedback line or email us at the podcast at gmail.com. Well, uh, some other news in science fiction world regarding a writer by the name of Harlan Ellison who's going into the Hall of Fame. A lot of people are not familiar with this man, but Miles, you know this man.
3: I, I do know who he because
2: is. You would not have had one of the most famous mm-hmm. Star Trek original series episodes without this man. Right. City on yeah. the Edge of Forever, right? Correct. Correct. Uh, and he's written tons beyond this. Mm-hmm. Um, Harlan Ellison basically, uh, here's a story. It comes from CNN says this renowned speculative fiction writer Harlan Ellison is about to be inducted into the Science Fiction Hall of Fame recognizing a career that has spanned more than 5 decades in which he has made contributions to literature, television and film. Called one of the greatest living Americans short story writers by the Washington Post, Ellison will be honored at the Hall of Fame event Saturday in Seattle. The award, coming 55 years after Ellison began writing his writing career celebrates the achievements of a writer who has nearly done it all, collecting 10 Hugo Awards. Three Nebula Awards, 18 Locust Pole Awards, the Bradbury Awards, six Brahms Stoker, Stoker Awards, uh, Editor Alan Poe Award, and two George Miles Film Awards. Allison 77 won't be at the ceremony as asked the author Neil Gaiman to accept the award on his behalf. Editor Gardner Doze and artist Vincent DeFate and Jean Mobis Gillard, Gerard Gerard sorry, will also be honored at the week-long event. Ellison, who has been extremely ill for several months, said in a telephone interview that he is in the last stages of something. I don't have a cold, he sarcastically noted. Founded in 1996, the Hall of Fame has honored science fiction giants including Steven Spielberg, George Lucas, Ursula K. Gwynn, Isaac Asimov, Gene Roddenberry, and Ridley Scott. As part of the ceremony, inductees, uh, laser-etched images on the glowing Hall of Fame uh, permanent display are unveiled. Brooks Peck, creator for the Experience Music Project Science Fiction Museum, says that the decision to induct Ellison wasn't a difficult one. He was always, let me scroll down here, he was always very encouraging of young writers, and he, plus he had a big personality which people really enjoy, Peck said. "Boy, did he ever? <laughs> Ellison was very influential in the new wave era of science fiction in the late 60s and 70s when the genre changed from being traditional science fiction, hard science, and adventure stories To writing that took up social consciousness, exploring soft sciences of psychology and sociology, where the prose became more experimental. Peck added, the new wave brought things back down to earth and became more character-centric. Born in Cleveland in 34, Ellison moved to New York in 55, publishing more than 100 short stories and articles, and then his first novel, Web of the City, in 58, about street gangs on the Red Hook section of Brooklyn. Ellison works works have sold millions of copies and have been translated into more than 40 languages. His most recognizable works include Deathbird Stories, Strange Wine, Approaching Oblivion, I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream, Love Ain't Nothing But Sex Misspelled, Ellison Wonderland, Memos from Purgatory, Shatter Day, and Stalking the Nightmare. Fans of the original science fiction TV classic series Star Trek know Ellison as the author of one of the most critically acclaimed episodes, The City on the Edge of Forever, which featured Joan Collins. Ellison, who still uses several Olympia tip- typewriters to do his work, says he despises the internet because it's killing books, has several projects ready for release. He wouldn't pick any favorites from his own work. I love them all, even the lame ones. I'm proud of them, he said. And yet, for all of Ellison's accomplishments, he is considered by some to be one of America's most prolific best selling authors who remains unknown by many readers. Gordon Van Gelder, editor and publisher of Fantasy and Science Fiction magazine, the second oldest continually running science fiction magazine in the U.S., says Ellison was always uh, far from a mainstream writer. Ellison made his first sale to that magazine in 61 and was a major contributor to the late 60s before writing uh, a film column for years. At its core, I call him a fabulous is that the way fabulous, I guess? Van Gelder said he wasn't one to write science fiction in the traditional vein. Van Gelder likes El- likens Ellison's early work to that of the English science fiction writer Michael Moorcott, who in the 60s, as the editor of science fiction magazine, New Worlds, helped usher in a new wave of writing in that genre. What differentiated Harlan- Harlan's work was the intensity, Van Gelder said, the vividness of his imagination. Uh, let me tell you, Ellison, by far, is one of the best science fiction writers I've ever read. Mm. It's, his stories compel; they're provocative, uh, sometimes obscene, but always to get a point across.
3: And um, you don't want to upset Harold Ellison; he might sue you.
2: Uh, yeah, absolutely. And you know, he is actually came up with the original. He was one of the original concept creators for Terminator. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. So I know that he sued. Cameron or whoever was in charge of that story over (laughs) over that, right. But the story came from an idea that he had kind of birthed. Mm -hmm. So very influential into some of our big Sci-fi classics, yeah. but well worthy of being inducted into the hall <coughs> of fame for science fiction writers. Mm-hmm. If you ever get a chance, I have them on audio, audio CD. Would you be interested in listening to them? Yeah, sometime? I probably
3: would. I'd yeah, probably on my there's
2: some goods. I, I, I'll have to get them to you. They're at school, so it might be next year.
3: That's fine. Yeah, that's what I look forward
2: to. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, let's get into this week in Star Trek.
3: In this week in Star Trek, um, Star Trek's Walter Koenig to receive a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. We want to thank our friend Chris Wood from Comms for posting this article. In breaking news, uh, Walter Koenig will finally and deservedly receive a star on the world-famous Hollywood Walk of Fame. Walter is the last of the, of the original series cast to receive a star on the Walk, for which he has been previously passed over despite a widespread fan-run internet campaign. All we can say is congratulations to our favorite Russian navigator, It's been a long time coming, but we're glad you finally got your due. You can also check out the interview with Walter. Um, There's links on on, on comms here, plus his official website. Also including in the television category are are Batman star Adam West, uh, One Day in a Time star uh, Valerie Bertinelli, The Simpsons creator uh, uh, Matt uh, Groening, uh, CSI, SVU star... uh, uh, Mariska Haggerty, Everybody Loves Raymond co star Patricia Hayden, CSI China Beach co star, uh, Marge uh, Hellenberger. Now, on a start, on a side note, Star Trek Generations co star, Michael McDowell, will be receiving a guest, we receiving a star for the motion pictures category. That's awesome! Yeah. That's yeah. great that he gets a star. We need some more loot, lu- nuclear vessels. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, our next, uh, news for this week in Star Trek is about the Shat himself. Uh, so, according to this, no Shat in Star Trek, uh, According to the man himself uh, Again, uh, thanking uh, our friend uh, Chris Wood From Social Coms. Comms uh, Even though William Shatner desperately wanted to be in the J.J. Abrams First film in the Star Trek Reboot He's officially announced that he won't be in Star Trek 12 either At the 2011 uh, Calgary Comic Expo Shatner was asked if he would make an appearance In the next installment in the J.J. Verse And Shat revealed I have become an acquaintance of J.J.'s of late But I'm afraid uh, no no, it'll not be in Star Trek 2. I'm afraid. There's, there is that there is to say, though, that all things can change, and, and really it's not unusual for Bill to stir a little controversy and show a little light on the topic. Would you like to see uh, Kirk Prime in, in Star Trek 12? Sure, if you really think about it, the chat makes any film better. I mean, check out uh, Big Bad Mama or Kingdom of Spiders for proof. J.J., if you're reading this, uh, find a small role for the Star Trek chat. You did it for Nokia. So, um I don't know. I don't need to see Shat. I don't need to see him in there, but I wouldn't be opposed to it either.
2: If they had a message from the Prime Universe, like Spot Prime, then maybe.
3: That, that's what I'm thinking. Maybe it could be like an audio thing or something. Uh, yeah. yeah, Maybe it's time to just let the new Star Trek just
2: be its own thing.
3: Uh, be its own thing. And I'm fine with that. So, I'm all for that. Now, I'm, I'm not much of a comic book reader uh, anymore, but this might get me back into it. Uh, Star Trek movie universe comic series coming in September to re-envision uh, classic original series episodes. And uh, I'm glad... So, we, original it, series. Prime, take, prime universe. Uh, prime universe, but done in the JJ-verse. Um, today brings exciting Wait, wait, wait. News wait. For, so, JJ-verse, not prime... Well, let me, let me read the article, and ho- hopefully that'll... Uh, Clarify me. everything. Hopefully it will. <laughs> today brings exciting news for Trek comic fans and fans of the 2009 Star Trek movie... Uh, IDW has announced their first ongoing monthly Trek series, and it'll take place in a new movie universe with new twists on stories from the original uh, Trek series. Details below. New Star Trek movie comic series kicks off in September. IDW is once again uh, working with uh, Star Trek Co writer, producer uh, Robert Orsi on Star Trek comics tied to the 2009 uh, movie. But this time they'll be telling stories set after the movie. According to IDW, the new Star Trek comic book series will explore the vast implications of the alternate timeline created by the film in a new monthly ongoing comic series. In release, Orsi said in this series uh, movies cost money, uh, lots and lots of money, but comics give us unlimited budgets to take the crew of the Enterprise farther than we've ever been. Join us. The new ongoing Star Trek comic series promises to continue the adventures of the new uh, USS Enterprise with the new crew as they embark on, on missions that reimagine the series from the uh, original television series, all with new threats and characters never seen before. Issue 1, due in September, will kick things off with a new vision of the original Star Trek series' second uh, pilot where no man has gone before. The new Star Trek series will be written by uh, Mike Johnson, um, who wrote, uh, who's involved with the uh, uh, Star Trek uh, Countdown Nero will be working under the creative direction of Robert Ortsey. Artwork will be provided by Stephen Molnar and covers uh, issue one will be provided by Tim Bradstreet and David Messina. Um, the new Star Trek series will be IDW's uh, first uh, ongoing series for license as they, they have done in many series, usually around four issues each. This will be the first ongoing Star Trek comic series since one published by Marvel under the Paramount Comics 15 years ago. And this series will also be the first extended universe series uh, stories from the new, from in the new movie universe after the events of the Star Trek film. While they have been comic and novel av- adaptations and a number of comic books and young adult novels tied to a new movie that those will set during or, or before the new film. Uh, as as noted, IDW editor Scott uh, uh, D- Dunbeer filing new Star Trek comics that showcase the new Enterprise crew. The only th- the only thing uh, more fun than reading them is is editing them. The debut is, issue will feature a golden ticket promotion which. More details to come directly shortly from IDW. In addition, the two covers from Tim Bradshaw and Dave Messina, Star Trek Number One, will feature uh, four uh, rare uh, photo covers and a super rare cover signed by Orsi and Johnson. IDW notes uh, readers should talk to the local retailer about the photo and signed covers. Uh, Star Trek uh, Number One will sell for $3.99, 32 pages, full color. Will be available stores in September. So, are you excited with the new comic book series?
2: Um, dark uh, uh, yeah and I, so are you our listeners excited about this and let me
3: ask you Miles, are you excited about this I am because there's been no, no there's, there's young, young adult um, <coughs> um, novel series with them with, 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 with uh, original with, with the characters in the uh, in Starfleet Academy but this is going to take place after the movie and I really wanted to see the more to explore more. This, this new universe uh, that the Star Trek is in um, now they're supposed to be novels and we've, we've talked to, the, to uh, the, the Star Trek novel authors before they've writ- they've actually written novels and got paid for them but um, but they're on hold but but J.J. put them on hold because they don't want to in case go in a different direction that the new movie going so I'm almost surprised that they're doing this in a way because I wonder will this at risk go in, in, in direction the movie is not going to go but they may just say well these comic books are not canon and uh, maybe just go leave it at that. Yeah, but know. but yes, I um, I I'm probably going to be you know, you know, I'll probably fork out the four dollars for the comic book. Well, let's check out. out the
2: first one, right? Oh, definitely, yeah, issue. yeah. The first issue. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for sharing this week in Star Trek. All right, well, let's move into our last promo tonight, and this is from the Midnight Movie Club podcast, who looks at all things '80s and '90s as far as movies goes. This is from Dan and Lee. Make sure you check them out.
0: Hello, I'm Dan and this is Lee. Hello.
3: And together we are Lee and Dan's Midnight Movie Club. You see, every week we come together and we review classic popcorn movies of the 80s and the 90s. (laughs) For example, so far we've reviewed Teen Wolf. Which is great. Teen Wolf 2. Which was awful. The Last Starfighter. Which was great. Cannonball Run. Awful. Army of Darkness. Awesome. (laughs) Police
1: Academy. Mission to Moscow. Not so awesome. Worst film in the history of mankind. And Pee-wee's Big Adventure. The second worst film in the history of mankind. So if you want to hear more of our highly intelligent,
0: uh, incisive film critique, come over to com. that's M-I-D-M-O,
3: club, dot com, and check out our podcast. Or you could just type Midnight Movie Club into iTunes. If you have iTunes, if yes. you don't have it, it'll be harder. That's right. That. So we'll hope we'll uh, you'll listen to us soon. Uh, to be fair, though, I quite like Pee-Wee's Big Adventure. Well, you're an idiot.
2: welcome back to the sci-fi diner podcast with me is a returning guest someone that's been on the podcast over the past couple years every so often especially as we near this con that we call shore leave we are we're rapidly encroaching on shore leave 33 and with me to speak about it is mike Schilling, public relations director chief cook and bottle washer of everything shore leave welcome to the show mike
1: Hello. So wonderful to be here once again with all our great friends at the Sci-Fi Diner podcast.
2: Yes, and it continues to be a growing community, and we're very glad to have you on. And uh, I imagine there's people that will be listening today that have not heard you before. So we announced that you're kind of public relations um, director, guru, whatever you want to call it, at ShoreLeave. Can you give us a little bit, a brief background of your history with ShoreLeave?
1: Well, actually, my, my specific title when it comes to the convention itself, if you read the program book, I believe it'll say something along the lines of Publicity and Media Relations. And my job, basically, is to get word out in any, any way possible, any way I can think of, to tell all the folks, you know, um, in the wonderful sci-fi universe that we have, um, all the fans out there about what Shoreleaf has to offer, uh, to tell regular, you know, attendees from over the years about... You know who we're going to have this year, and with any luck, try to reach some folks who perhaps have not heard about shore leave, which is even better, because since shore leave prides itself so much on the tradition that it follows and having so many people come year to year to year, some since the very beginning of the convention, um, that it's always very exciting to us to to reach new people who may not have heard about us before. So uh, I'm responsible for uh, reaching as many folks as possible and also to uh, try to maintain um you know, relations with uh, local media, um, traditional media, newspaper, radio, magazines, and the more uh, new age media. Um such as this podcast, uh, things that have only been coming around in the last handful of years that many of us older folks are just now learning about, the wonderful world of Facebook and MySpace and Twitter and what have you, you know, the, the new way of getting word out about the show. These are all things that we are just starting to learn, actually, this wonderful new wor- world of ours. So that's a rather roundabout way of putting it. I hope it was helpful.
2: No, you know, definitely. Well, you know, that brings up a good question. What challenges does this whole idea of new media present to a con like Shorely?
1: Hmm. What a wonderful question yeah. that is! I, I wish we had a lot more time. I could go yeah. on about this all day because I've actually been discussing that with members of my fellow members of the Shore Leave Committee. Uh, this is such a new world we have here. There are so much, so many new products, so much, so many new exciting things that, that we can use today, new tools, new toys, so to speak, to, to bind the world together, to get information and news and entertainment out there. Um, many folks, particularly the younger folks, uh, folks in their teens and twenties and such are, tend to be very, very good at this, whereas some of us older folks, ahem, um, sometimes <laughs> need a little bit more time to, uh, to, to study how these things really work. It's only been in the last few years, really, where SureLeave has, um attempted to get a, a voice out there on Facebook, for example. Um a couple of our members are adept, not me particularly, but some of our other members are quite adept at Twitter, and they Twitter on, on SureLeave as well, and I'm sure there are those out there who are on space for example. Um, that's an interesting point, because a few years ago, we did a little survey uh, at ShoreLeave. It might have been a year before last, I think perhaps it was. And we handed out a good old-fashioned piece of paper. We did it the old-fashioned way, and we handed out a piece of paper to people uh, who were at the convention. And we said, how did you hear about ShoreLeave? And at the end of the convention, I got this giant box of handwritten responses back, and I was the one who went through it one by one. And what really surprised me was very, very few people mentioned that they heard about us in traditional media, radio, newspaper, magazine, perhaps a few, but very, very few, really, when you consider the amount of investment in such things. Most people reported they heard about us through two fashions. One, word of mouth from a friend or a colleague, and two, doing an Internet search that's how they found out about us. For example, they would put a star trek or science fiction or genre convention into a search engine, what have you, you know, the type doesn't matter, and we were one of the ones who came up and they figured, you know, hey, why not give it a shot? And they were hooked in most cases. So that's how people tend to find out these days. So it literally is a whole new world that there is much to to be learned about. So a little bit intimidating and also very exciting at the same time.
2: Yeah, and I imagine challenging, too. You have all sorts of new media and trying to evaluate, well, what's the best new media for Shore Leave to kind of invest their time and resources into? Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Exactly. Uh, There's a lot out there. So I would uh, imagine that's a huge challenge for you guys.
1: And we're very, very grateful, believe me, to to you guys there at the Sci-Fi Diner and, you know folks like that who have been very, very supportive of us and attending Shore Leave, getting the word out about our convention and everything. It means a great deal to us, and we're, we're very appreciative.
2: Well, I know that Miles and I have had a pleasure of podcasting from Shore Leave and sharing our experiences there, and uh, as a general thumb, it's been all positive. So,
1: Well, thank you. <laughs> we take a great deal of pride in putting on a, a great show every year, and uh, you had asked me prior to that about what it takes to put together a show like Shore Leave. Would you like me to elaborate slightly on that now?
2: In a moment. Could I have you go back and tell me how How did you get involved with Shore Leave?
1: <laughs> well, let's see here. Well, again, a long story, but I will try to not give you well, too much of a headache uh, for also the benefit of our, our listeners out there. Um, well, I went to my first Shore Leave. It was around Shore Leave number eight or so. I can't really recall right now how I first heard about shore leave it might have been a flyer or something that my older brother told me or something that another friend told me so i went to shore leave number eight way back in 1986 i think that was it was one of the first conventions ever i'd ever been to it was actually the one time that shore leave wasn't actually at its current hotel the marriott hunt valley and it was actually way in downtown baltimore uh, it was at a different hotel for a number of different reasons and um and at the time I just thought it was another fun convention. Um, I didn't actually join that organization, uh the Star Trek Association of Towson that actually produces uh shortly until maybe four or five years later. Okay? And at that point I became just a general helper for the convention. You know, if you needed me to help put something together, help move chairs around. The the man of many hats that I mentioned before. Right. Just general help, just doing what I could a little here, a little there, to make the convention the best it could be. You know, uh, you could say I was the unofficial ambassador of Goodwill. Just send me somewhere, I'll talk up Shore Leave. That's what I did. But um, years later, um, they asked me um, in their committee to become part of the video department. Uh, for five, six, or seven years, I ran the video department at Shore Leave. Um, basically, that was a person who... Again, taking you back to years past, um, back before the incredible explosion of pl- pl- what's the right word proliferation, I think, is the word that I'm trying to get out um, of uh, video and on demand and cable and satellite and such. Um, when you would advertise at a Trek convention that you had classic original Star Trek episodes or if you had the original blooper reels, you could fill an entire room because it wasn't something that everybody had. You see, it was a really unique experience. So rooms like those video rooms would generally run classic Trek episodes or next-gen episodes or classic science fiction movies and what have you. Of course, that changed over the years as more and more people had these things. It wasn't quite so special. So the crowds were got smaller and smaller and you had to get some something a little bit more specific to draw people in. But uh, I ran video for many years up until about, like I said, three, four years ago. And then one day my convention chairpersons came to me and said, Mike, we'd like to move you into the publicity department. And I was a little bit nervous because I'd never done anything even remotely close to that. But they felt that I had the necessary um, skills and knowledge to do so. And so I switched from video to Publicity, so I've done a done a number of different things for Shore Leave over the years, but right. I guess this this year would be um, uh, twenty 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 six Shore Leave. I guess if you count them one at a time. Wow, time does go does, <laughs> move does move on.
2: It does. That's awesome, and it's awesome that you've been involved too for so many years, and so it's kind of a part of your lifeblood in a sense.
1: Yes, yes, it is. It's uh, a big part of shore leave is the tradition of it and the fact. And again, I could stay on the phone all all day on something like this. But um, when one is young and you go to a convention, you're probably drawn there by the guests you can get, you know, the autographs you can can get, and you know um the, the various activities. But as you get older, one comes to appreciate the tradition of it as your life changes, uh, being able to count on certain things being there, to be able to see certain people that you may not ordinarily see um, at, other, you know, at other times and everything, uh, the friendships that you develop there. I like to tell people who aren't familiar with what Shoreleaf has to offer. I, I try to tell them, well, think of it as a party with about 2,000 of your closest friends. Right. And that that's how I've come to to see it. It's, it's a three-day party with a bunch of other people who like a lot of the other same science fiction and fantasy movies and TV that you do. And even though you may not feel that you may have a lot of friends, when you go to a convention like Shore Leave, actually you do. And it makes you not want to leave when the weekend is over. There's fewer things sadder in this world than a convention hotel on a Sunday night when everything is just dull and quiet and everybody's left. <laughs> and you've got to go back to, quote-unquote, the real world. <laughs> right. and that that can be a real downer, let me tell you.
2: Oh, no doubt. I know it's one of the things that Miles and I really appreciated. Uh, last year was our second short Leave, and bounce between that and also the Farpoint Con. There's a lot of similar fan base, and we hit friends at those cons that we just don't hit anywhere else, like you said, and I know that we're looking forward to seeing, uh, you know, Kevin Dilmore, Dayton Ward again, or good friends of ours that we develop basically through our ties at Shore Leave. Mm -hmm. It does, you
1: know, give you the warm fuzzies,
2: doesn't it? It does, it does, and and so, uh, yes, are we excited about the guests, which we're going to talk about a little bit? Absolutely. Are we excited about hearing what they have to say and seeing, you know, sitting in on some of the panels? Absolutely, but it really is kind of going and seeing the people that we saw last year and the year before.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So, well, I, you know, we briefly hinted at this and maybe before we touch on the guests and what shore leave has this year, um, I asked you the question, what goes into running a con, you know, what's be- going on behind the scenes a little bit. And that's probably another question we could spend an entire two hours of an episode on, you know, but give us an idea at least.
1: Mm. Well, Again, I can only really speak for myself. Um, Shore Leave, and I don't want to sound like I'm waxing rhapsodic or <laughs> or, or getting uh, you know goofy or sappy on you guys, but it, it literally is a labor of love for all of us. You have to remember, I cannot speak for other conventions, in other parts of the country, or even in other countries. But Shore Leave is an entirely volunteer basis convention. It is a fan run convention none of us get paid a single dime that i've ever been told of or heard of for our efforts and all of us have our own lives unlike what william shatner might say or what certain members of the media might say traditionally about trek fans all living in our parents' basements and everything we know we all have our own careers we all have our own lives to lead. so everything that we do for sure leave somehow some way we've got to find time for and it is tremendously time-consuming Okay. Um there are and it, it's hard of me to give you an exact count, but there are maybe I would say twenty to thirty committee members, okay, that I can think of with different departments. And for those of you who've been to Shore if you look inside the inside cover, look at all those names that are involved. The different there's the there's con chairs, there's the you know, the different people in the committee, I'm just one very small part of that. Then there's all their helpers. It takes like a small army to put one of these things together for three days, and the amount of detail is amazing because some conventions, again, can can be very good at giving you lots of guests and they'll give you lots of dealers and all that, but surely, as you know, and I know I'm preaching to sure the choir here, uh, prides itself on having lots of choices for our attendees. If folks who are listening come on a Saturday, for example, you might see 10, 11, or more what we call tracks going on at the same time one of the smartest things you can possibly do is come to the convention, open up this, the pocket schedule and plan out your weekend and find yourself wishing that you are two or more people so you can be in two places at once because there are so many choices but somebody has to organize each every one of those choices you see so it is um, it is exhausting it is time consuming but you know like I say we don't get paid for it all of us must um, do this for simply the love of it, uh, the love of Star Trek and what it's meant to us over the years, other science fiction shows, um, and probably most of all, especially, like I say, the older members who've had some perspective over the years going to these things, the, the people that we've met, the friendships that we've made because of what Star Trek and what Shore Leave has meant to us over the years and maintaining that and seeing that it's furthered into the future. You know, that's why we we do this and everything. And it's it's. there have been questions over the years, should we continue? You know, the economy is so bad and, you know, it's so expensive to do this now. You know, people ask for so much more money to get guests in and the hotel costs so much. But somehow, you know, whereas some of the conventions, even very popular ones, have fallen by the wayside, we must be doing something right because, you know, not only have we been able to hold on, but we're actually you know, keeping on with no end in, in sight. So uh, it's something that we take a great deal of, of pride in.
2: Hmm. Now, when the convention ends at an, you know, let's say, you know, Shore Leave 32 last year ended, when does the planning for Shore Leave 33 pick up?
1: Um, the discussion begins at the Shore Leave wrap-up meeting, which is approximately two to three weeks after the present convention. Um, now, of course, at that point, except for the very top people like the con chairs and everything, the people who deal with directly with the hotel arrangements and everything, much of that starts very, very slowly, including what I do. Um, things don't really pick up from my division until after the holidays. Because it's after the holidays when we start getting our guest star signed. And I want to start getting word out there, hey, guess who's coming to Shorely this year? Start emailing people. Start emailing various publicity contacts and you guys and everything. Hey, are you coming again this year? You know? So you start getting word out. You stir the pot and everything. You know? So things really start for me in earnest you know, uh, after the holidays and especially as spring comes. So when you get to, like, the last three months, like we're in now, uh, the last three months or so before the convention, it pretty much goes into a breakneck pace, and it doesn't stop until that convention (laughs) is over. But it takes literally, you know, for those at the very top of the convention uh, chain, it takes roughly, you know, just about the full year to prepare. But other divisions, you know, can really start picking up, I would say, maybe in the five to six months beforehand.
2: Uh-huh. Very good. Uh, and, I, you know, I always wonder, you know, how that happened. And I know that I hear from you about February saying, hey, are you interested in coming? And about that time, we begin to talk about it, you know, briefly on the podcast. Imagine, hey, we're thinking of going to Shore Leave. Uh, any listeners out there coming as well? And you begin to, Kind of whet the appetite and talk, and obviously, then this podcast when we run this is another incentive to kind of talk and to kind of, you know, what's going on at Shoreleave, what's behind the scenes at Shoreleave, you know, and I think that this is very cool. So thank you for sharing that.
1: Oh, you're welcome.
2: Now, what are uh, so this year Shoreleave? Let's begin to talk a little bit about what's going on at Shoreleave 33. Um, we have a incredible guest lineup this year. Do you want to talk about some of the mm-hmm. guests that are coming?
1: Yes, yes, I'm only too happy to. Well, um, what is really special, I think, about this year? Perhaps we don't have the one really blow you away name like Edward James Olmos was last year. When I right. saw that last year, I said, Whoa, now that's a name for you. All right, that's I didn't think an actor that big would deign to do conventions, but it turns out he was one of the kindest, wisest guests we've ever had. Absolutely. So, what a tremendous success he was. Um, but we might not have a name that big, but let me tell you we've got a great cross section this year that I'm extremely proud of because unlike years and years ago, where if you had just a couple of names from from classic and some of our regular writers, folks were happy, but now, with the advent of you know the popularity of Dragon Con and other such conventions where there are so many guests, you know you need to have a variety to draw people in um so among the guests this year, uh, representing the um, Stargate universe, Christopher Judge, who came to Shore Leave a few years ago and was extremely popular, and another actor by the name of Cliff Simon. Uh, representing the Stargate universe. Uh, representing Battlestar Galactica, the lovely and talented Tricia Helfer. And I know she'll be extremely popular. Okay, I will not go into obvious reasons why, but I think <laughs> she'll do quite well for herself. <laughs> yeah. Indeed, she is. So I know she'll represent Galactica very well. Um, from uh, the next generation and pretty much almost any science fiction show you could care to name, uh, the one, the only John Delancey is going to be here. Q. Who hasn't been in Baltimore in many, many years. And yes, Q himself, but if you look up his work on IMDb.com, the man's been in everything. I mean, yeah. name a show, name a movie, he's probably been in it.
2: You know, I'm but looking yes, at. Mainly- I, I, I'm looking at. Star- he's in Stargate, too, for that matter.
1: Yep, that's right. Name the show. He has been a part of it. And uh, a very brilliant man, a brilliant actor, and he hasn't been in Baltimore for quite a few years. And we're absolutely thrilled to have him. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Eddie McClintock from uh, the recent shows Warehouse 13 and the uh, short live series Moon was um, called Moonlight. Okay, he's going to be popular. He's here. Uh, let's see. Representing uh, original... Star Trek. We always like to have representation from classic Trek days. Uh, Miss Sally Kellerman, who uh, was in the uh, second pilot where no man has gone before, and was also extremely well known as the original Hot Lips Hoolihan from the MASH movie, and also uh, Gary Lockwood, also from where No Man Has Gone Before, so we have a No Man Has Gone Before reunion going on, it seems. And, of course, from the Stanley Kubrick classic, 2001, A Space Odyssey. So uh, he actually has been to shore leave at least one befo- once before that I know of, so both of them representing the original days of Star Trek. Uh, let's see. A very attractive young lady. I know very little about her, but uh, I'm sure she'll do extremely well. I don't know if I'm pronouncing her name right, but her name's Emily Hulerup, I believe. I think so. U-L-L-E-R-U-P. Uh, she's been in a few shows, uh, primarily best known, I think, for a show called Sanctuary, yeah. which is on sci-fi. Um, so she's on that. She was a recent addition to our guest list. And, uh, also, one additional guest was added a few months ago, and we're very thrilled about this. We have five-time shuttle astronaut and the current Deputy Director of the Space Telescope Science Institute, Dr. John Grunsfeld, is going to be here as well, uh, to give a talk about his experiences in repairing the Hubble Sp- Space Telescope, and his experiences actually doing spacewalks. I know that's not an actor guest and everything, and he, you know such folks tend to be grouped with uh, our other science guests and everything that we have every year. But uh, we're so very thrilled to to have someone who's actually been in space, and we're so honored to have somebody like that that we have grouped him at the top of the Shirley sure banner with our other actor guests, and that's one talk I'm very much looking forward to, because uh, Shirley prides itself not just on, you know, those attendees who love their science fantasy, but also folks who love their science fact and like to hear from folks who actually live that dream and want to, you know, improve the future through scientific discoveries today, and of course we're going to have a huge number of, of science guests, but he of course leads the pack on on that one, of course all that's on the website too.
2: Awesome. Yeah, I know that I'm looking forward to having a chance to hear him. I don't think I've ever heard a live ast- astronaut kind of talk about his experiences, and I think it'll be awesome. See
1: All right. I haven't know. quite figured out what day he's going to speak yet, but yeah. in the last couple of weeks before the convention, uh, of course the schedule will be posted pending last-second changes, of course, but they always do a great job putting up the schedule as it becomes open. And I strongly recommend everybody check the official website, www.shore-lead.com. Uh, to you know especially in that last week or two beforehand for, for last minute changes and as the uh, schedules go up, so you can plan the week as well as possible. Hmm. Well you
2: know it seems like especially as you look at the guest list, there are about five major shows. I mean anything from Stargate down to Star Trek to Battlestar to Warehouse 13, um, you have you have something for everyone. really yep
0: and I think yes, that, that,
2: I, that's I, true And I think that I think that's awesome. So I think that's great. So thank you for sharing the guest list. Now, you know, obviously we're interested in the actor guests and, and, you know, a lot of people are into that sort of media. What else does Shore Leave have to offer this year other than just the big name guests?
1: Wow. Where do I even start? Well, <laughs> uh, could, could you try to um, break that down into something more specific? You mean yes. in terms of different kinds of guests, different kinds of activities, Let's what? Let's
2: start with other guests. That you have other Well, than
1: these. well be, I wouldn't be able to give you the full list of names. I don't have them right in front of me. But besides all the actor guests that we have every year, uh, I've already mentioned science guests, guests that actually work at the Hubble Institute, guests that work at the Goddard Space Flight Center or the Johnson Space Center, many of which have been coming to Shore for many, many years to give talks about the latest discoveries uh, like Ray Vallard, uh, Charles Blue, uh, Sam Quirk, um, you know, people like that, Dr. Yoji Kondo, folks like that. Um, granted, that's, you know, not, not for everybody, but like I say, uh, conventions around here pride themselves on giving talks about science and not just science fiction. Uh, and also, you should know that one of the um, things that we do on Friday and Saturday night, one of our workshops is called Stargazing. And weather permitting, on Friday and Saturday night on the tennis courts, guys set up uh, out there uh, with their their telescopes and they gaze at what stars can be made out of course it may not be the best time of the year with all the haze and all the bugs out there and everything but it's just one of the little traditions about surely for those who are astronomically inclined and then you have all the writers like you mentioned before and wow i couldn't begin to to start you know, to reel off this guest list but, but every year, you know, at least I don't know since the very beginning, but especially in the last ten, fifteen years, we've been getting longer and longer lists of various um writer guests that come here, you know, who, who are known for their for you know, for their genre writing and everything. You've got your better known names like your Peter David and your Robert Greenberger and Howard Weinstein and Keith R. A. D. Candido and Michael Jan Friedman, and it just goes on and on, all these names. And they give talks and readings throughout the weekend. They they do panels and take part in comedy skits and, and tease on each other and all that. Because, you know, they're a group of brothers and sisters who have been doing this, many of them, for many, many years. And they always meet each other up at these conventions and have a grand old time. So you can literally spend most of your weekend just hanging out with the writers, if that's your, if that's your cup of tea. But we always have a large, you know. I mean, we don't emphasize, you know, literary aspects quite the way, say, a Balticon does or a Worldcon does. But uh, there is definitely that element there, and that we always have great representation from, from writers. Then you get some other uh, types of of guests that are more for entertainment, you know, like um, groups. You know, of folks who, who do parody, like Lunacy Productions, for example, or the the world-famous Boogie Nights, for example, who, you know, who made such, you know, such parodies popular probably before Weird Al Yankovic knew how to do it. I mean... You know, so we have groups like that who who come every year. Then we have the, the filk singers. Now, that's something that goes back to the very beginning of science fiction conventions. You know, folks who just have a little musical instrument, usually a little guitar or something, and they'll play um, parodies of popular songs or they'll write little original songs and everything and they'll get together on Friday and Saturday night, sometimes formally, sometimes informally, and you'll you'll walk by a hallway and, and hear them sing until the wee small hours. You know? Again it's like what you said before, having something for, for everyone, basically. Something happening in pretty much every room. It's just a matter of deciding what you want to do the most. You know, or, so I'm going to hang out here for a half hour. I'm going to go over here for a half hour. You know, you have to, you know, do your best to determine, well, you know, I only have so many hours in the day. Let's just, that's why at the very end of the convention, sometimes we have a term called the dead dog party. Well, there's a very good reason why they call it dead dog because very few people have slept <laughs> through the course right. of the weekend. There's just, there's too much going on. So uh, anyway, that that's all part of it too.
2: Right. Well, you know, I think one of the things that, I've been impressed with as I've gone to the Shore Leaves the past couple of years is that the caliber of guests that you guys bring in, whether it be author or, you know, big name guests down to the science guests and so on, uh, are very, are there and are very accessible as a general rule to the people that come. They're coming to a convention because they want to interact with people that are fans of theirs and they and they treat it and respect that as such. And I think that's been – um you, you hear stories sometimes of, of actors that are pretty oh, I don't know what it is. Yes, and I just don't see that at Shirley.
1: Well, I want to thank you for for saying that because that's an excellent point you just made right there. Now, I can't take credit for that. Right. I have to give full credit to our guest relations department for finding guests who aren't just guests that people are going to like, but people who are not afraid of getting out there and and meeting with the fans. Um, you know, there. And again, this is a totally separate issue. But there are there have been times where we could have perhaps had bigger names. I will not mention their names in the past, but perhaps they didn't have a very good reputation. Perhaps they were a little bit cold or standoffish. There are those who did not want to sign autographs, or those who fled out, refused to help. Do something little like judging the costume contest on Saturday night masquerade, as we call it, and that is just something that we're we're not interested in, you know. Uh, folks that we tend to sign to agreements to appear at shore leave are folks that. Generally, other members of our committee have seen at, at other shows in other cities and come very highly regarded for such things. So we may not always get the biggest names, I grant you, but we always try to get the nicest names. And to us, that, that's extremely important. <laughs> oh, that I, I've seen people in the past, literally, this is not always the case. Because some have entourages, some have security, some do not. We had a guest maybe three, four years ago, and I hope I don't mispronounce the man's name. Manu Interami, I think his name was. All right. And uh, does that name ring a bell to you?
2: It does not.
1: but Okay. Well, I believe he played a uh, a character on uh, Voyager a couple of times. And, and, well, basically, he came to convention, and he had no staff at all. He would just walk around and, and just shake hands and meet people walking throughout the hotel. He wasn't scared in the least, you know? And that that's a very refreshing thing. Um, three, four years ago, uh, there was this uh, young actor from um, who was in uh, Star Trek Insurrection. The name escapes me right now. But anyway, he was there um, with his uh, parents because he was a young man at the time, just hitting, you know, it was in his mid-teens and all. His parents were there, and uh, my wife and I, uh, actually met his parents sitting off on on the side having a bite to eat and everything and we just walked up and said hey you know your son's really got a great head on his shoulders and, and all that and he's very well spoken and he thanked us very warmly so um again I can't speak for what may or may not happen at other conventions but for example we have a like in any other convention hotel there's a nice restaurant right, right. and you go in there and you might go in there at any point throughout the weekend and you might see couple of the guest stars just simply sitting down at a table having a meal you I, know I know I and, was thinking and of, it's,
2: I was thinking you know, last year you know World Cup was going on just happened to be the same weekend as Shore Leave and you could walk in you about
1: Mr. Almost, how he wanted to go to the bar and yeah. see the uh, finale right
2: <laughs> right right well him and Katie Sackoff were sitting there cheering him on you
0: know
1: Mm-hmm. Hey, I heard a- about that he <laughs> he wanted to leave his table because he would not miss the finale of that you know and that was uh, was a very very big deal. I remember seeing um you know a couple of guest stars from a uh, a couple of uh, years ago and everything. There was a uh, you know a father and son basically and they were just sitting literally at a table right next to me. Having their meal, and they said hello and everything, and it's again, it's a sociological thing, and you can go on and on as to the whys and wherefores. But it is very, very comforting when you you see people that you have admired on TV or in movies and everything, and then in a situation like that, they get to drop their defenses a little bit. And you get to same as just regular folks Absolutely. you know trying to earn a living and they're you know they're just being themselves and not saying this happens all the time but it is very very reassuring that these are just regular folks just like us they might make a lot more money than we do and their lifestyle is somewhat different but uh, that is a very reassuring and it gives you a, a good feeling so when you get home with that autograph it isn't just something that you have oh added to the pile it's something I've collected I'll sell it later you can say that's why I've never really sold any of my own personal autographs, you know, because I can almost recall in almost every case where I was when I got that. I met that person. I shook that person's hand. I asked him a question. I might have said something silly like, welcome to Baltimore or how was your trip or have you done any sightseeing, you know? But you remember, hey, I met that person and I felt pretty good about it. He was an okay guy.
2: Right, you right. Know? Absolutely. I know I remember uh, my very first shortly there that would impress me is Christopher Heyerdahl you had there that year and and he would leave his table and go sit in on the fan discussion panels on Sanctuary. Uh, and so it was just, it was just kind of interesting. You know, I know not all guests do that, but you see guests that are comfortable around, you know, the other guests, um, in certain ways. And I think, you know, he, he came to Shortleaf because Aunt Amanda Tapping, I guess who was there a few years prior to that had recommended he come to Shortleaf.
1: Mm-hmm. I've heard stories about this where certain actors on a certain series will say to the other ones, hey, I just got this interpretation do you think?" And they said, yeah, you need to go, you need to go. And that's how a lot of these other folks come in. You know, we had tried to get Amanda Tapping for a good number of years, you know, and it was a great pleasure to us to finally get her that one year. Um, so, uh, and like I say, am I coming through? Okay, I'm getting a little static. Is no, everything you're, you're, all right on that end?
2: You're sounding great in this end.
1: Okay, um, so that is you know again. I hope it doesn't appear like I'm just you know patting us or, ourselves on the back too much. But these are all things that I, I take a great deal of of pride in.
2: We know and whether whether they, whether they happen at any other convention or not, it is something that happens at Shore Leave, and and, and so it's it is it is something that makes uh, has made Shore Leave a bit unique in my experience. Now I haven't traveled the world and have seen every con in the world. In fact, my con experience is very limited, but i one thing that it's it's one of the things Sorry to that- interrupt but that,
1: that's an excellent point that you just made there because I, I'm not trying to disparage any other convention or anything. There are many wonderful conventions out Absolutely. there. Our, our sister convention, Farpoint, which is in February every year, it's not quite the same people. It's a different organization. But that's a wonderful convention, too, a little smaller than us in size in a smaller hotel and everything. But they're fine. I can only speak really to my own experiences, at surely, and what, what I'm so proud of. But as a point before I, I lose the idea before, we, you know. Okay. Start okay. getting to the okay. next thing is that for those of you out there listening to this interview, uh, for those who perhaps had never really thought about going to a convention before, okay, uh, the, a big point I try to make to folks who always say to themselves, "Oh, that's just for geeks. That's just for nutcases." You know, you see the things on TV and they're all giving each other the live long and prosper spot, side. I mean, yes, there's always going to be that element there. There's always going to be a small handful who go a little over the top, but You know, what I like to tell folks who maybe haven't gone before and were maybe a little bit put off by it is just try it once. You might really be surprised how much you actually like it and how many people there have a lot in common with you, okay? it's Yes, there's always going to be that that small element of the ones who go a little too far over the top with their their fandom and all, and you're never going to get rid of that because that's all part and parcel of the experience. Absolutely. But, But, but give it, give it a try. You know, you might actually like it a lot more than you might realize. Right. You know, so that's why I try to tell people, because a lot of people say, oh, convention, oh, gee, convention, you know, what's <laughs> the nuts? And I say, no, not really. Just, you know, just give it a try. You might actually like it for Pete's sake, and you're going to find a lot of people there who like a lot of the same things that, that you do. You know, and what's really interesting about conventions today, is it such a mishmash of different people from different backgrounds, different age groups? Different walks of life, different experiences, different kinds of careers and everything, you know. I mean, it's not just all, you know, teens and 20-somethings anymore. There are the younger fans who like the newer shows. Like, for example, when Buffy the Vampire Slayer was on top and we had some Buffy guests, you know, five, six years ago, they packed that hotel. It was a whole other kind of experience, you know. The whole world just turned teen all of a sudden, you know, and then you know other shows become more popular, so you've got the older folks who were there at the very beginning, and they bring their children now and the the kids are getting older now and experiencing the convention and picking up what they like about it so you've got the younger kids running around you've got the teenagers off doing their thing they're they're doing gaming or they're hanging out with each other in the video rooms or they're you know they're seeing certain guests trying to get autographs and things like that you know. And then you got the middle-aged folks, and you got the older folks. So there's all different kinds of demographics there. You know that again is is very very interesting. You know everybody has their own thing. And also as these conventions get older and older and everything, we're in our, we're in our 33rd year now. Um, folks literally have grown up with this convention. The little kids who were there in the first Shore Leaves have grown up, made them have their own children now and they're bringing their kids now. So a whole new generation is is coming up, you know, in these conventions and all and they're going to, you know, be able to enrich future conventions with their own experiences and everything. And to me that's that's very exciting and it all ties in with the tradition of the people that you meet and over the course of time, you know, the friends that you make and everything. So anyway, back to my original point is just trying to convince folks who may have been on the fence about it to just give it a try for one day. You might actually find yourself saying, hey, yes, it's not too bad. It kind of reminds me of, you know, all the folks who went to see the new Star Trek movie a few years ago. And I heard all these stories about people who, you know, years ago would have never have in a million years seen an episode of Star Trek all of a sudden saying, hey, this is actually cool. <laughs> you know, so... There you go. That was the point I was, I was trying to make.
2: Well, you know, and I just wanted to just piggyback on that a little bit is, sure, one of the cool things for me to go to the convention is to see the, the one or so people that are dressed up as stormtroopers, you know, Darth, Darth Vader running around the convention, a couple of R2-D2s running around. But, I mean, honestly, that's such a small minority of the people that come to conventions. Most people look like your regular average folks that are there just enjoying the, the, the experience of the sci-fi convention.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with the folks who are doing the costuming. In fact, many of these costumes, especially that Darth Vader and those R2s and everything, man, those R2s are the real thing, aren't oh, they? The they, are they are. Just stunning. I wouldn't mind having one myself if I had several grand to spare to build one on my own. But... um that, again, is all just part and parcel of it. But for those who think that's just for, you know, the nerdy types and all, it's just not so. There's all different kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds, and that's, again, a big part of the fun of it, okay, that you get all these different folks. And if you were to go to a sporting event or something, you wouldn't be able to get all these different groups of people together without probably some kind of trouble or, or you know, cussing or fighting or what have you, but not at a, not at a group like this you know, folks generally get along. And that's that's something that it, that's just a wonderful thing that the world could use more, use more of, definitely, you know? So, mm-hmm. so there you go. That's only just a small part of it, right. like you said. But, yeah, those ones who do dress up as Darth Vader and, you know, and, and stormtroopers, even though they may not be in the masquerade on Saturday night, you may find yourself admiring these costumes because these guys don't go cheap. I mean, um, you know, these things cost... Right. You know, and you go, wow, can <laughs> I take you? You know, you might find yourself saying, can I have my picture taken with you? Oh, yeah. They go, absolutely. yeah, sure, because <laughs> they love the attention. Oh,
2: yeah. Oh, yeah. I know one of the, uh, just to highlight one of those, we've interviewed Ed and his droid, um, who has been at the past two short leaves convention with his art 2 and I, he got to see it the first time he was there. It was. It was kind of halfway done, and it was a bit more done, and you get to see it kind of build and develop, you know, his R2 unit. Um, but a lot of work that goes into not any of those outfits or any of the devices that they make and create, and so it's a real cool experience for that. Well, mm-hmm. uh, we do have to bring this a little bit to a close. Before we do that, tell us a little bit um, – you kind of have a price point as people look at conventions. I mean, one of the things obviously that comes to mind in this economy is, uh, what's this thing gonna cost me? Um, and you know, I realize that by the time that this airs, we're probably gonna be just past the pre-registration, uh, deadline. What will it cost for someone to come to Shorely?
1: Well, I, I admit the, uh, the Tickets are a bit pricey. Uh, they are not as pricey anywhere near as going to a Worldcon, say.
0: Yeah, or But a they creation. are
1: somewhat – right. So it's it's not really that bad. But then again, if you compare our prices up against the, some other, quote-unquote, professional conventions that will charge you, let's say – and again, I won't mention them by name. last thing I need is a lawyer banging on it, my it, door. Right, but, right, right. But there are, are some conventions who will charge you to a certain t- uh, price to get in, and then you got to pay extra to have a seat in a certain area or a certain extra price for this and that. But anyway, so I'm not going to, you know, pretend that we are the least expensive, but a lot of that also has to do with the cost of everything else these days, you know, the cost of of using the hotel space, the cost of, of bringing the guests in and, you know, their demands per day and, and what have you. Uh, that is usually the biggest part of any kind of convention budget. But... Um, and I do not have the listing of precise prices in, in front of me. Now, the uh, pre registration deadline actually is June 15th. Right. So as we record this, that's pretty much um, past. Right. But uh, for for the weekend, I believe, for the weekend at the door is like 85. Yep, that's correct. Um, uh Friday only, I think, is somewhere around, I don't know if you have a listing in front I of you. Do. Is about 50. Yeah. I do. Is it about
2: 50? Actually, Friday, if you just want to go Friday, is 30 bucks.
1: Oh, okay, it's actually less than I thought. I think it's what, 60 on Saturday?
2: That's correct, and then 40 on Sunday.
1: And 40 on, on Sunday. Right. Um, now, it's an individual, it's different price point uh, for teenagers. Um, teenagers are somewhat less, and children, I believe 5 to 12, are a certain price. I think it's what, like maybe 30?
2: Yeah, actually, it's less, um, it's 20.
1: 20, okay, better than I thought actually. And uh, and under 5 I think is free with a paying adult. Uh, And I don't know if they had this this year, but in the past it used to be if you just came after 6pm on Saturday for the Masquerade and 10 Forward party, it was a separate price, but I don't know if it's on the actual sheet this year. It is. I'm not sure if they've done away with that or not. It says
2: $15.
1: Okay, that's just coming like from after 6 p.m. on Saturday, just for the masquerade, right. 10 forward. Because there are some folks who literally will just come for that part of the convention. They'll just come for the Saturday night parties. The masquerade and the, the dance party, what we call 10 forward, right after that. They just come out for that. You never see them the rest of the weekend. The party folks come out at night. Um, so that's a whole other thing. So, yeah, 85 for the weekend at the door and individual prices, um you know, on, on separate days and everything and different lower prices for the young ones and everything.
2: You know, um, just let me comment, uh, just let me comment a little bit on the pricing of that. That may seem like a lot, but if you want to just taste the con, you know, even coming on Friday is going to run you 30 bucks. And hey, if you like it, then you can come back Saturday. Or if you want to come next year for a weekend because you enjoyed it so much, you can easily do that. The other thing about it that we didn't mention is that these are, these might seem like, uh, costly prices, but one of the things that Shirley has always done is they've kept the price of their autographs and photographs down uh, from the gas.
1: Well, we do have those uh, photo ops and everything, and that's something we've only really had in the last five years or so. And those are, I believe, 35 apiece for individuals and for like combinations, like 50 or 55, something like that. And again, it may seem like a lot, but one, you're getting that picture that very day. It's going to be done within a couple hours. You can get it autographed that very day. Also, other conventions who have that tend to charge more than that. Absolutely. Okay? And um, like I say, there are other conventions which charge more prices if you want to sit in a certain area and such, and, and we don't do that. Uh, that. We don't really call it a, a ticket. We call it a membership. You buy a membership. Uh, that basically includes you know, everything except for your food or if you want extra things like, um, you know, like your photo ops and things like that. Actually, the thing that generally costs the most on course the weekend is if you need to have a room Somewhere coming from out of town, you need a room. That's going to be your biggest expense, really, right, right, compared absolutely. to the the cost of coming in. Now, some folks spend a great deal in the uh, memorabilia rooms, the dealers' rooms. Others do not. Again, that's something that some folks get into. Others don't care much for it. It's it's up to the individual. It doesn't mean when you walk in, you have to you know blow a couple months' pay in the in the <laughs> dealer's room and everything.
0: You could like I say
1: that's first. You know, you could do it very easily. But um, again. It's not something you have to do, but but you're right. I I grant you the prices may be a little high, but like I say, a lot of that isn't so much a function of of us, but but from outside sources. It's like when you go to the grocery store these days, a lot of the time prices have gone up because of the delivery cost of getting it there with the cost of gasoline and everything. One thing feeds into another, but we do try our very best to make it as competitive as we can compared to other conventions for what you're getting. Remember again for all those different tracks of program that other conventions can't give you, okay? And trying to give you as much bang for your buck as possible for what you're you're paying.
2: And I and so, I think and I, I think that yeah, and I think shore leave does that. And that's all I wanted to say is you know people might look at that and say wow eighty bucks, but you are getting a lot for that eighty bucks, and there's no doubt about it. So
1: yes, thank you.
2: And uh, well, so. We've talked a lot about it. There's obviously much more information about Shore Leave than we can cover in this podcast. Where can they find out information about Shore Leave?
1: All right. All right. Shore Leave 33, for anybody who doesn't know yet out there, is July 8th, 9th, and 10th at the Marriott's Hunt Valley Inn. Okay. I think their phone number at the hotel is 410-785-7000. Okay. Is that correct?
2: Oh, I don't know. I, don't, I actually don't have it okay. in front of me, but so okay. I figured you probably know the, that more than I do.
1: Right, that's the hotel uh, phone number right there, all right, and it's very easy to find. It's just north of Baltimore, okay, but you can also get directions off of our official website. Um, we used to have a 24-hour info line, but I don't have the number memorized. Most folks go online to get the information at our website.
2: Right. Are you there? You there? Yep, I'm here. Yeah,
1: I'm here. Okay, yep. www.shore, S-H-O-R-E-dash leav leave sure leavecom okay? That is our official website. All the latest information is posted there right up to the last minute, including schedules, any guest changes, anything like that. It's all put up there. There's a big bar on the left side, transportation, news, updates, you know, connections, links to imdb.com to find out what our guests have been on, uh, other, other hotels in the area if you need to find a last-minute room, because the Hunt Valley Inn is sold out. It's all there. It's a very, very thorough website. Absolutely. So I strongly recommend everybody, you know, wants to find out more, go to the website and find out from there. And hopefully we'll be seeing you folks at the good old Hunt Valley Inn in uh, just a matter of a few weeks from now.
2: Yep. can't believe it's coming up as fast as it is,
1: that's for sure. The time does fly, especially <laughs> when it gets down to the last minute and everything gets crazy. Yeah, But it's well, all worth the work.
2: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Mike, for coming on and chatting about Shoreleaf 33 and giving us a little bit of background as to what goes into a con. We really appreciate it, and I know that our listeners have too.
1: Oh, you're very, very welcome. It's my
3: pleasure.
2: All right. We'll see you in Shore Leave.
0: Who can forget Haiti, January 2010?
3: The earthquake rocked this impoverished Caribbean nation late this afternoon.
2: It is just complete devastation. This is downtown Port-au-Prince.
1: 28 of the country's crumbled universities still lie in ruin.
2: We have information just coming in from all different sources that basically indicate that there's a huge displaced population of students right now.
0: But
1: there is hope.
0: The Haitian Connection Network is opening Haiti's first distance center location, offering qualified students an American-based university education. Here,
2: our students earn degrees in computer science or business administration, and with the assistance of HCN, are connected to job opportunities in Haiti.
1: My name is Brandy. I am waiting to pursue my dream of a degree in computer science. Students like me are waiting now.
0: We need people like you to partner with us and invest in these students, the future of Haiti. Find out more about the Haitian Connection Network and how you can give by visiting HaitianConnectionNetwork.org. HCN, the Connection Network, is a 501c3
2: nonprofit organization. Right, Miles. We just heard from our good friend Mike Schilling at the Shore Leave. Remember, if you are going to Shore Leave, let us know. But before we go here, we have a sci fi five and five. A listener submitted sci fi five and five. It's from Colin, and it's a continual look at the impact the Star Trek has had. Mm-hmm. You know, this of course being inspired by our sci fi feud. Mm-hmm. So, thank you, sci fi Christian, in part for helping sponsor this segment from Colin.
3: It, it has created some good podcasting.
2: Yeah, some great podcasting. So, this is what Colin writes. So I would, he said, "I thought I'd do a sci fi five and five for you. These are." The five actual inventions became a, became a reality because of Star Trek. You got that? Mm-hmm. So let's take every other one. Miles, why don't you start?
3: Um, starting at number one, uh, mobile phones. Uh, the inventor saw Kirch communicator, looked at his cordless phone, and thought, I wonder. And uh, <laughs> hence, uh, you know, last uh, 15 years or so, we, we, we've had these little handheld uh, cell phones.
2: Yeah, yeah. Compressed <laughs> air injections. Despite... Inspired with a hypospray, at present similar to a glue gun, in appearance but getting smaller, the inventor was aiming to make
3: life easier for diabetes. Yep. Uh, teleporter Australian scientists have so far teleported a, a, a photon using a laser across their lab.
2: Now understand, a photon is quite a big difference from a human being, but it's the mm. start.
3: It's a start, yes.
2: Yep. Uh, tablet computers. You know, your iPad, most designs of
3: these devices credit the pad in track. Mm-hmm. And they look like the pad in track. Oh, very much so. Uh, warp research. A team of scientists have now proved warp is theoretically possible. Also, we cannot generate enough power at our present level, but not that long ago, we could not break the sound barrier. Uh, this also does not cover the plethora of people who are now scientists or involved in space energy because of st- or track. Who knows what they will come up with in the future. The volume podcast from our friend Colin.
2: Yep, yep. So thank you, Colin, for sending in that Sci-Fi 5 and 5. And if you have a Sci-Fi 5 and 5 that you want to share, it doesn't have to be track related. It can be anything. We haven't talked about Star Wars in a while. We should talk about that again sometime. Yeah. Um, so maybe next podcast we'll do a Sci-Fi
3: 5 and 5 for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that's it, Miles. All right. Well, until next, next time, good night and good luck. We'll see you.
0: Station. When you were waiting on the edge of the unknown And with the cataclysm raining down Insides crying, save me now You were there impossibly space. No,